Hello and welcome to the Sala podcast. My name is Steph and I'm catching up with photographer extraordinaire and visual artist Tony Kearney in his apartment in Port Adelaide, which is full of fantastic objects and things to see. Before we get started, I do just want to acknowledge the Ghana people as the traditional custodians of the land and water that we are on and looking out upon from this fantastic vantage point and acknowledge the elders past, present and emerging. All right, Tony, thank you so much for making time to catch up and uh, chat about things that make you tick. I guess we'll start with the core stuff, photography. I know it's a big passion of yours. How did you actually find your way to the medium? When I was very young, I can't remember exactly how old, my parents bought me a Kodak Instamatic and we'd go on holiday and I'd take the camera with me and I'd take photographs of things and the film used to come in a little cloth bag with a tie on it and a tag and so the tag was the address back to Kodak somewhere Mm. Um, and two weeks later you got your prints (laughs) and the prints were square and they were beautiful and I've always loved square prints so we keep on going with it Um, and then after that I went to Wellington Polytech to study industrial design and Mm. That was a 36-hour week, mm-hmm. in front of, and four of those were in a photo lab. So mm. I managed to learn all sorts of things about large-format cameras and developing slide film where halfway through the process you had to take it out and flash it in the light and then put it back on the spool and keep going. So all sorts of strange, wow. wonderful things, reticulation, bass relief, all of those sort of things. So <laughs> Those words are even at the edge of my understanding. <laughs> Amazing. And to get even uh, a bit deeper straight off the bat, what is it about film and analogue processes that has maintained and held your interest in such an enduring way? Uh, well, digital, I, I've sort of got time for both. So mm. I use, I use analogue and digital mm. cameras. The digital I use mainly for you know, when I get invited to photograph it festivals or concerts or whatever and I use that mainly sort of in the evening and low light and so forth um the film I just love the serendipity of what you get the potentially the the weird results which turn out to be fabulous um (laughs) because sometimes I just enjoy using old and expired film too so Mm. and that that sort of adds another level of of ambiguity to what you're looking at that um, you can't see through the lens. Mm. So, and you have quite a collection of quite old, yeah, antiquated a, lenses, don't I've you? Got, I've got a collection of cameras and lenses which I use. They're not there for collecting; they're there to be used. So, mm. anything from you know, half frame, which is basically half the size of a thirty-five mil mm. image, up to I think about twelve by sixteen inch. Yeah, um, you know, some big old cameras. My oldest lenses. Uh, from the 1860s. Wow. Um, and <laughs> still getting some, used. <laughs> yeah, still being used. I still crack them out to do portrait work. Yeah. Because they've got, you know, really beautiful softness about them and mm. at the same time sharpness in the focal plane but softness everywhere else. So yeah, it's perfect for portraits, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. 
Amazing. Well, there's a deep reverence for objects across the board and yeah. and their functionality, which I guess is stepping back from uh, you know your interest in photography, you you do love stuff, don't you? <laughs> well, I'm an industrial designer yeah. by profession. Was yeah. um, and part of that was understanding how things worked mm. and also respecting some of the things that had been designed in the past by people who are backroom designers whose name never appeared anywhere near the product. Right. So the sort of anonymous products. Mm, so, so not the kudos. Yeah, way. so a bit of a machine age archaeologist is what I see myself <laughs> as. We you know, find things that aren't perfect. So if I've got toys, they're not the ones that sort of are in their cardboard box and perfectly kept from the day they were bought. Um, I prefer to see toys that granddad made for their kids and yeah. and in the back shed and um, and cast them maybe or built them out of wood. So those are the sorts of that's where I sit. And I just love the sort of the aesthetic of of age, texture, and and um, and all the the fabric of of how things are made and where things are made and so forth. So, mm. And my one of my passions is well, one of my businesses is, was designing plastic products for many years. So I've got one of the largest Bakelite collections from that anyone has has, has in Australia. So wow, yeah, in boxes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no <laughs> so, small feet. <laughs> yeah, I've got a few bits out, but not much. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, and is it true that you um, coming back to your processes is it true that you once developed photographs in coffee yep <laughs> pray tell what was that uh, about <laughs> so we had a we had a it may have been started i'm not sure it was a festival mm. um where danny a friend of mine myself decided that we'd go to a cafe on a saturday morning mm. take photographs of the patrons with the medium format camera sweet yeah then develop those negatives in coffee amazing then print them in coffee. And, <laughs> and print them in coffee. And then well. put put them back up on the wall the following week for people to come and see. Of the cafe. Yeah. So Amazing. There was, so there was about 30-odd pairs of portraits, and they were, they were called mug shots because we had, them, we had them holding the mug, looking straight at you, and then sideways. Yeah. So we had the two shots so, and printed printed one negative there and one beside it. So, <laughs> um, And uh, it was good. It was good fun. That's and I've uh, contemplating doing it again sometime somewhere. So, yeah, oh, you have to uh, let us know yeah. <laughs> to look out for that one. <laughs> yeah. It worked beautifully. Oh, I mean, there's, no, there's no problems except for, I think, fixer. You can have alternatives to developer and you can have alternatives to stop bath. Yeah. But uh, fixer is one of the harder ones to find an alternative <laughs> to. To muck with. Mm. Yeah, but it, was, it was coffee and it had citric acid and it had, it had borax, I can't remember. It had, it had a number of different things. Yeah, but that, that's also you know, how it, like enjoy playing. I was recently asked where I work as a casual, looking after the film labs at Atkins. Mm. Um, I was recently asked by one of their clients to who'd found a roll of Kodachrome, which hasn't been developed since I don't know 10, 15, 20 years maybe. Right, but chemicals but, run out. But shot, shot. Like, yeah, sort of been. Yeah. Yep. So developers, black and white. So that used all sorts of homegrown chemicals. Wow. You know, home home available chemicals. Should I say. <laughs> Like borax and yeah, wow. and all sorts of other things, and we just got we got black and white negatives from Kodachrome. Amazing. And so, or pa- yeah, black and white positives from Kodachrome. Oh, okay, so, yeah. So they um they had they had their images and they could see them and see what their granddad had 
photographed. Oh, wow. So it was from in the family. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So you get to play mad scientist sometimes too. Yeah, well, that, that's, that's, that's the enjoyable bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. And now talking about objects, I don't want that to sound like the focus of your work because you do have distinct threads in your photographic practice. I think my introduction to your work was these beautiful shallow depth of field close-up macro works of these objects and things that we've been talking about. But you've also got a very curious eye for scenery and, you know, new visions of the port and a photojournalistic sort of style um, that you did these really beautiful images of Syria and also a very established portrait practice. Is there a common thread between these approaches or does each way of shooting have its own individual appeal or drive that draws you to it? Um, I, if there is a common thread, it's not something I'd consciously do. Right, um, yeah. Oh, let's go back to where my photography was. I finished studying and then mm. basically from then on to about 10 years ago, I... Um, just use the camera for what everyone else does for parties, for travel. Yeah. For I don't didn't used to photograph food, yeah. Um, but um, <laughs> but just yeah, you know, film film photography of of all sorts of things. And then when we moved to the port, about six or eight years after we moved to the port, the government said they were going to tear down a lot of the fabric of the port and replace it with uh, new housing. And so I thought it was about time I showed people what was out there and what was going to be lost. Mm. And it turned out that that's when I started to pick up my film cameras again. And so I'd photographed the boatyards before they were demolished and all the sort of the cultural heritage that was involved in that and the people who you know, were five generations of the, the, the businesses were you know, sort of established in the 1860s. Mm. And they were getting moved on or kicked out and the buildings demolished. And I thought that was criminal. Mm. And I basically wanted to tell as many people as possible about it. So... Mm. That's what I was doing. That's got me back into photography. And then and then I wanted to use a darkroom. So in about 2010, I went and did year 11 photography at Marden Senior College. I imagine you might have been the oldest one there. Oh, no, I wasn't. It was, oh, okay. It was, it, but there were also year 12 students from other schools who'd come oh, in to, okay. to study photography, right. as in wet photography. And, yeah, and, so um, a bit of a melting pot of interested yeah. parties. Great. So the first year, all I did was just use the facilities to try alternative processes and do photography and print all sorts of things. Mm. And naturally, at the end of the year, I got my mark and I failed because I didn't do any of the work, <laughs> coursework. So the Amazing. second the second year, which was year 12, yeah. um, and it will cost about $300 a year, by the way, yeah. um, for, for you know, four hours access and once a week. Um, Brilliant. I decided to do the coursework and, and do my it. fun stuff as well. <laughs> oh, that's good of you. <laughs> and so I did the coursework, handed it all in, uh, then got my mark and then had to ring a, a fellow student who was a year 12 student um, who we used to do photographic projects together, collaborate on things. Mm. Um, and she said, shut up and hung up on me because <laughs> I just got, I think it was A plus with merit. With merit. Right. Yeah. And it turned out it was the highest mark in the country for creative arts. <laughs> there you go. Just as it, well you applied yourself yeah, then. <laughs> yeah. And 
um, I got the invite to go to the governor with all the other year 12 students who had got you know sort of high marks mm. and I decided not to <laughs> so <laughs> didn't really feel like you know being looked at and po- pointed at for oh, being yeah. a, you know, sort of a mature age student mm. who'd, who'd um, gone through but I only did you know, I only did the one subject it's not like uh, yeah you know, they were doing they were doing four others yeah yeah I was working at the time and it was you know working full-time at the time as a yeah, designer so a juggling act mm. so and I was pretty pleased so that was because I just you know I played with all sorts of things I mm. made I made cameras i made scanning cameras out of scanners i made all sorts of things right so, yeah, so we just, just played getting an image one way or another <laughs> yeah, yeah well it's, a, it's about putting an image on you know using glass or something to distort or give you a will give you a perfect image on one or the other mm. um and a medium which is in a light proof box which can accept it so amazing yeah. <laughs> Anything's a camera. <laughs> yep. Yeah, well, that's one of the projects I did was for since then. Is I've, was commissioned by Tanandi Festival, the Indigenous Contemporary Art Festival, to go up to Alice and work with one of the art centres on photography without cameras. So right, without real cameras. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so basically, going out onto their country and doing. Things like lumen prints or like um, going down to the tip shop and buying letterboxes and first aid kits and uh, cocktail cocktail shakers and cake tins. And <laughs> putting a tiny hole in them. And putting a tiny hole in them and making pinhole cameras. Amazing. Which, and because I knew their focal length and I knew the size of the hole and everything else, I could give them the exact amount of seconds they can open up for on oh, wow. different, and with it's cloudy or different or sunny or whatever day, and yeah, they'd, yeah. they'd open them up for three minutes and then put a bit of tape over them and bring them back, and I'd unload them and then they'd go out again and do another one. So brilliant. <laughs> so just that was fun. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's just playing playing with alternative process, mm. but you know I also like to be refined in my processes. So with you know when it's film like large format film, you can't really waste too much. So you, mm. Try and get as as clean an image as possible, and then work with that clean image to make as clean a print as possible. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and I think oftentimes we don't think about the the waiting of you know taking the photograph, and then the development is still being part of that process, and yeah. you know still having control over outcomes in that process. Beyond- and, it, and it's not you know the obvious the obvious difference between digital and, and film photography is it's not take the photograph, look at the screen, delete it. It's mm. take the photograph, wait two weeks till you get a chance to develop it. Yeah. Develop it, it's still a negative, scan it, rework it, as in change the change the tonality or change mm. the contrast or whatever and get rid of all the dust because you can have a lot of dust. <laughs> and then because you've scanned it, you can have a two-gigabyte scan if you want mm. and it's not going to lose... Anything, it's just going to be bigger grain yeah. on, the, on the on the image. Whereas in digital, if you took a you know sixty megabyte file from a from a camera, um, you've got a lot of farting about and trying to trying to confuse the the digital data to make it something that's you know two meters square, which mm. you know printed easily with with uh, negative. Yeah. Mm. So there's, a, there's, there's that difference, you know. That obviously, if you want to spend a lot of money, you can do exactly the same thing in digital because you can yeah. get very big files. Mm. But 
you can you can right now you can walk down to the nearest secondhand camera shop and buy an old film camera, and you can do the same thing with a scanner. Mm. So it's interesting, isn't it? Mm. We've sort of forgotten that in a big way. Yeah. The merit of the film camera, um, and yeah, interesting to know that that um, just is that a train? That's a train. It's <laughs> a train. The <laughs> National Railway Museum. Is across the road. I can see it. Oh, yes, there it goes. <laughs> so apologies for any interruptions in the background. I, I, didn't, I didn't even notice it because it's been here so long. You've it just, tuned it, it out. Just tuned it out yeah. <laughs> there are worse noises. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, interesting that the, you know, happenings in the port gave you that very clear impetus to yeah. and have something to capture because it could disappear. Yeah. Well, I, was, I mean, some of the first photographs I took were in my first – I used the first time I was in – an exhibition, and so that was you know my first exhibition were images from the port. So right, yeah, yeah so. Well, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny to think about your first exhibition because I know you exhibit so prolifically, um, and actually that does bring us to some exhibitions slash significant prizes that your work is in at the moment at time of recording. Do you want to tell us about oh. some of your big wins from this year? Well, they're not wins as such. They're they're I'm a finalist. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. In the so, art, yes, I use the yeah, Termina. Yeah. <laughs> Career way. Would it be mm. nice if I wins? Um, That's it. But. So, the, so the Olive Cotton Prize for Photographic Portraiture is mm. um, a $20,000 prize, and that's run by Tweed Regional Gallery, mm. and it's fairly prestigious as mm. far as getting work into, and mm. I hadn't been, I hadn't really applied myself to put work into awards for the last three or four years through right. the personal circumstances. Yeah. Um, so I decided this year to put throw your hat in the ring. Four apply for four prizes. Mm. So I put work in to be selected. Mm. So they, I managed to become a finalist in the Olive Cotton Prize, which was fantastic. And mm. that's it's been gone, and I wasn't a winner, but my work was hanging on the wall with some wonderful, well-known and uh, distinguished portrait photographers who do it as a profession mm. for a living. Mm. And they, it's their art form. So you're in good company. Yeah. yeah. So that was one of the four. And then I got news that I was a finalist in the Bowness Prize, which is a prize for photography total. Mm. Um, and that meant that I had to sort of print a one and a half metre by one metre <laughs> portrait and frame it and get it across to Melbourne. Yeah. Um, and that's on its way back from Melbourne tomorrow. So, oh, okay. Um, yeah, yeah. So that's been and gone. And again, I was in the company of many renowned and wonderful photographers mm. whose work I very, very much admire. Mm. And then the third one, which really stumped me, was um, <laughs> the Taylor Wissing Prize, which is a $27,000 prize yeah. from the National Portrait Gallery London. Yeah. And I got two portraits into that it's amazing isn't it well that's from 5,400 entries from around the world they chose the work of 25 photographers bloody hell and I, mean, I had and I had two <laughs> I had two of them yeah in there, two of the portraits in there incredible so they're hanging at the moment until in London early January and I couldn't get there it would have been lovely um <sighs> yeah. and someone who had admired their work for a long time, an Australian photographer actually won the prize. Mm, so fantastic. in the end, between he and myself, we had ten percent of the photography on the of on the walls of that exhibition. <laughs> Amazing. 
Oh my gosh! So. Oh, well done. That's yeah. um, that's a great comeback from yeah. not entering then, for a few years. And then <laughs> the Guardian UK wrote a review and chose a portrait I did of Jacob Junior Nayangal, who is an Indigenous ranger in the Northern Territory by day and became an actor for the first time and a lead actor mm. in the movie High Ground. And I caught up with him at the. Uh, Adelaide Film Festival for the gala launch of the movie. But that portrait was described as one of the top 10 portraits of the year by The Guardian UK. That's a big compliment, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> and The Guardian Australia in the Bounders Prize, I was the top 10 photographer of the year from the Bounders Prize as far as their wow, collection. Wow. So, Taking yeah. in your stride. <laughs> now I've got to lose my amateur status, uh, which I've been sort of holding on to for so long. I had a card printed when I went to Syria which said amateur photographer on it. Mm, and that, that hung around that for a while. Word. Yeah, so I'm <laughs> just starting to get myself a website. Um, oh, good. I work four days a week at Atkins, so yeah. three days a week now will be devoted to portraiture. Yeah, wow. Um, so it's a great transition period. Yeah, it is yeah. a transition period. It's It's obviously... Until I start getting work in, it's expensive transition period. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> um, you know, getting getting all the works off to the different parts of the world, the prints, you know. Would, yeah, there's a lot of logistics uh, there, yeah, isn't there? And we're just uh, printing and framing um, mm. and shipping and mm. shipping back if, mm. it, if it doesn't go anywhere. Yeah. Um, all costs money. Mm. So, Although I like that you, to get the prints to London just before, told me that you – you know, instead of compromising on size, because I know that you do great, mm. big, very commanding sort of portraits. They're great when they're at large scale. Uh, that you printed them and sent them unframed so that they could then be framed on the other side. Did that work out okay? Yeah, it did. <laughs> yeah, um, good. The National Portrait Gallery framed them. Yeah, um, beautiful. So they, you know, that was their their contribution. They paid for it. Great. Um, well, do you have uh, any tips for anyone um, that, yeah, perhaps might have a um, be working with photography and that kind of thing? Um, I'm assuming develop a website is probably a good one. But in I have, terms, I have of- a website, but I don't have a commercial website. Oh, I have okay. a, a website just for my own. Yeah, you know, it goes up and oh, good. there's no sales from it. Oh, good. But there's a but, portfolio but in a sense. Yeah. yeah. But Great. I don't. I just don't have a. Uh, an e-commerce right. uh, website, which is what I'm up to, what I'm about, oh, gotcha. uh, in the process of doing. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Oh, I understand. Oh, good. So we yeah. have got someone we can. I'm not totally a troglodyte. <laughs> <laughs> My apologies. <laughs> um, but in terms of you know, just throwing your hat in the ring and and entering prizes, do you have any wisdoms around that, or is it just a matter of you've just got to try uh, it out? Try it. Yeah. Um, with a lot of the major photography um, prizes uh, they have people who have you know taken photographs on their iPhone they've got people mm. who have who've never used film who have a disposable camera they've bought and taken some photographs and they've turned out pretty good mm. and they've put them in with a great explanation of what the work is and they've become finalists yeah so it's not and you know the Bounce prize is thirty thousand. I think the I think the Moran prize might be fifty thousand mm, in prize money. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so that so, should be impetus enough. <laughs> yeah, so, and 
it might cost you, you know, thirty dollars to enter. Mm. It's like a big lottery though, because mm. it's really up to. It depends on who the judges are, mm. and mm. it's very subjective. Mm. Um, but great to know that there is that uh, diversity of work that oh, you, you get, can get, you get in. You get yeah. work from people who have already won major prizes all over the place. Yeah, um, and you get people who whose work has never been seen before. Yeah. yeah, might not even call themselves an artist. Yeah, <laughs> amazing. Oh, that's very reassuring. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can be done. sure you don't think twice about this because you've photographed a lot of people and I don't know how you ask people because you photograph off the top of my head Billie Eilish and these you know people that come over for festivals these fantastic artists and people that I don't know I would just stumble on my words how do you not only approach people to sit for portraits but make it comfortable and get those because you can tell by the way that people are in front of your lens that they're comfortable and that's how you get those beautiful photographs what's the secret <laughs> i don't know <laughs> <laughs> just your no, knack <laughs> um, i was always shy about portraits i never i never took portraits at all and then i was kind of forced to when i did the course at martin senior college because mm. there was a a portrait component um, and that included sort of doing all sorts of lighting and doing all sorts of things to make the person look beautiful mm. um so what i did is i sort of went through the boxes of rubbish i've got around the house here <laughs> and sort of established a box of things that could be held or offered mm. and so i decided to do a a series of work which was called offerings and it involved someone holding a piece out to the camera and them being out of focus in the background and slightly looking away or doing something that you know they weren't necessarily looking at the camera. Um, so that started me taking photographs of people and getting confidence to take some photographs of people. Mm. And then from there, I started asking people if they would like to collaborate with me on photo shoots. Yeah. Where basically the subject and myself co-owned the final results and they could use them for whatever they want and I could use them for whatever I want. It's a nice way of and reframing then, the act of having your photograph taken is that it's actually collaborative. Yeah, okay. and I had to ask the subject if I could use them. Mm. They didn't have to ask me because mm. yeah. I've already given them that as a, as a gift or yeah. as part of the process because the person that you're taking the photograph of, if they're not there in front of you, then... You know, you don't get a photograph, so why not share it? Mm. Because, you know, if, especially, especially, I find that's I've actually formalised that quite um, with um, the indigenous artists that I've photographed over the years. I've basically said that um, after costs, we share whatever profits come from it. So mm, if there's a if a print sells or if it's an award or whatever, they get half. That's a really lovely way to yeah, yeah so, break that down. And it's not. I don't get a people rushing for it. It's just something I discuss with them after I get them in front of the camera. I don't mm. actually, they don't even know that before, mm. beforehand. Um, but it's, so I suppose it's the collaborations that I did for, you know, four or five years after the Martin course, which got me to a, a style. And from that, 
fact, I've got three portraits in the National Portrait Gallery's permanent collection. Wow. Um, and I sort of have the confidence to walk up to someone and ask if they're interested in having a portrait taken. Mm. I might show them some of the portraits I've taken in the past. Mm. Um, and then I generally don't waste their time um, because they're, you know, they're people who are busy. Mm. And I might only take three portraits total right. and that's it and then go on to the next person Gosh, you know, half an hour later nerve-wracking in a way <laughs> yeah well if i if i fail in my portrait taken they just never get seen so <laughs> <laughs> fair, fair. Um, just like any other photographer yeah. um but yeah with billy eilish i was standing side stage taking digital images of her at laneway port adelaide mm. i was commissioned by vital statistics and laneway they got the images mm. um and they gave me a pass that let me go backstage and take photographs and billy's mum was there and billy being only 16 or 17 at the time oh, um i just asked her mum if it was okay if i could take some portraits of billy and mm. she'd like what she saw and she said sure so we chatted for a while with billy and billy pinched mum's earrings um, <laughs> popped him on yep. yeah and Billy was all chirpy and smiley and everything else on stage and when talking to me and then yeah. we on backstage we used the backdrop as um, the photographic backdrop so it was a dark backdrop to the stage yeah and natural light and I took four photographs of Billy yeah and that was it and that was it yeah, yeah. so I guess you I guess you've got that sort of system figured out and and you can- and sometimes I actually give the camera to the person so they can look through it and look at me and see what sort of... I get a sense. Get a sense yeah. of what it's going to be like. That's great. Um, <laughs> and so, and they just hand it back. In fact, when I handed it to Tash Sultana, she took a photograph of me before I knew it. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, so I've got to a process now where if I'm taking photographs of someone you know, sort of well-known and they didn't want to waste their time and it's not something they've come to me for, mm. literally it's... I divide my 12-shot film into four. Yeah. And it's you know, four people get collected on one piece of celluloid, which is 12 shots long. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. So oh. it's, um, and so I just ask very you know, politely and mm. I'm quite happy to, for them to say no. And mm. most of the time, I think, I think I've only been refused once. Mm. And, and now that we're talking about it, you know, it sounds like it's a very mobile practice in that, you know, you just identify a backdrop or have a backdrop yep. and identify, it's the mostly light. identify. Um, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. the camera's handheld and I hold it and hold it down to yeah. 30th successfully, 15th sometimes works, but 30th of a second in the, yeah. and, and take photographs in that light. Yeah, and, wow. um, and that's just a 1960s medium format camera and. That's it. That's it. And oh. you're sort of reading the direction of the natural ambient light. Well, I just I, I actually are. have a look at a bit of a cruise around to see where the light's best mm. or, or more even and, and can work and not getting in the way of people changing sets or changing yeah. backdrops or whatever. So. Yeah, there's always a lot of moving parts at a, yeah. a festival. So, <laughs> so, yeah, I've, I don't have a tripod, don't have lights, don't have reflectors. Just use the light as it comes. Mm. And do you have... It's horrible to ask you to play favourites, but is there a standout uh, experience of, of photographing someone who sat for you? There's a Norwegian musician I photographed called Aurora, mm. and um, 
she was just bubbles. She was going all over the place. And it, it had to slowly quiet her down to, to take the photograph. Otherwise, at 30th of a second, it would have just been a blur. Um, <laughs> But she was lovely, and she, she, you know, she looked in the camera and she said, "Oh, it's going to have all that dust on it." <laughs> and I thought, um, nope. <laughs> and my cameras, you know, when they're sitting in the bottom of a bag, they do accumulate a bit of dust as mm. you're working around. Mm. <laughs> and then another time, I was photographing two women, two sisters. Mm. In fact, two of the portraits that ended up in the National Portrait Gallery. Oh, yes. So Linda Siddick Napoljari and Wencha Morgan Napoljari from. Uh, the Gibson Desert, and they spoke Pintipi as a language. Mm. Um, and where they were in Alice Springs, uh, very few people could understand them. Mm. And so they chatted amongst themselves and chewed the bush tobacco and, you know, sat there painting and asking for cups of tea and, and um, did some did some beautiful work. Their work's in, in most of the major state galleries and the National Gallery. Mm. But they'd never been photographed together before. <laughs> and one of them is... I think 74 to 81 years old mm. and the other one was at a bigger span and mm. she was something like 84 to 92 years old or something mm. and they've never been photographed together and so I got them into the gallery space at the Tanganjir um, Art Centre in Alice Springs and I asked if I could get a, a painting as a backdrop mm. and it and I asked if there was any black, you know, pre-prepared black backdrops. Mm. And there was, so we hung that. And so I took their individual portraits. And then I decided to take the pair of them together. And they kept on giggling and laughing and pointing around the room and laughing and giggling. <laughs> and, they, and they knew bugger all English. Yeah. But they must have asked one of the people who work in the art centre who I was and so they're looking around and I was going come on girls stop it you know yeah. I was <laughs> looking through my Look, camera yeah because um, you look down I looked down into the camera yeah that's right and then they both turned to the camera and they started chanting Tony Tony <laughs> Tony and I thought fuck her off <laughs> and I did take some photographs after that and they started singing to me after that so that was pretty special so they were singing there and um and it was just lovely just you know, I mean, with these women who had come in from the met their first white people when they were in their teens and early twenties. Yeah. Never met her, never seen anything from a white community before. In yeah. fact, one of them got so freaked out. Her major motif for a lot of her paintings is the scary windmill, um, and so she would sort of have these scary monsters under the scary windmill because yeah. that was the first thing she saw. Yeah. Wow. And that was, and then she, I think she went to Haast Bluff Mission, and then sort of moved around the western side of the Northern Territory for a while, and then sort of ended up in Alice Springs. Mm. So, yeah. so, so taking these portraits actually is a little window into meeting oh. such a diversity of people. It's it's fantastic. Now, I think I um, got to know you just after one of the Syria exhibitions. Can you? But that seemed to be like a really significant project. Can you detail what that project or series was and was about? Um, I got Brian Daw to open one of my exhibitions here in Adelaide 
maybe 2009 called Rust and it wasn't going to be a series it was just Rust um, and it was part embedded in a port festival mm. and a solo exhibition or a- um, no I decided to do a contemporary art exhibition where I'd curate when I say curate I just ring friends um, <laughs> and it had a byline of the corrosion of culture and the culture of corrosion um, and it was about the developers at the time taking away anything that wasn't heritage listed and the only things that were heritage listed were stone and brick. Yeah, wow, so it's and quite biting so, conceptually. <laughs> and so the all the corrugated iron boat yards that had been there for you know, up to five generations, um, they were being threatened with being knocked down. Mm. And so I got people to respond to that and it started out with about 17 artists. Was it all mediums or photography? All mediums. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. So there's a little bit of photography. There was glass artists who made me that piece for the exhibition. Is that one glass? Of it's glass. Oh. It's called Chandy. Oh, yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah. By Deb Jones and Christine Kaliwa. Um, so we had all these these works and Brian Dorr stood up the front and told the government who were in the audience because Brian Dorr was up the front um, that the government had sold the community down the river mm. um, and many other more biting um, choice phrases words. of choice, choice words <laughs> about how that's – because he's born just across the river from here. Mm. And so we got to know each other and then – about five months later, Brian rang me and said, look, I'm thinking about going back to Syria for a trip. Would you be interested in coming? Mm. And I said, when is it? And he said, oh, we're thinking about maybe six or eight months. And I said, yeah, I think I'd be able to sort of handle that. getting some money together <laughs> in that stage and potentially going. Mm. So two months later, he rang, rang me back and said, um, we've been leaving in a month. <laughs> <laughs> Would you still be interested? And so... I sold a few things and Sandra and I both sold things and got the money together and we headed off to Syria with a small group, um, 10 of us, and we and I took, I contacted Kodak and asked if I could buy bulk film from them at a discount. Yeah, wow. Um, and, and I didn't hear back and then I didn't hear back and I didn't hear and it was just after Christmas we were leaving, so I rang oh, yeah. just before Christmas and said, look, you know, I really need to know if I can buy film. I'd already you know, accumulated quite a bit of film mm. in the meantime. Mm. And they said, yeah, yeah, I'll tell you what, we'll send it off tomorrow. Mm. And so I got 80 rolls of film from them. 80? Yeah. <laughs> and it was for free. They, they basically gave me 80 rolls of film to take to Syria. Wow. Because I'd written a note about what I was doing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so with my 100, I took 180 rolls of film to Syria. Oh, my gosh. I gave, I gave about 30 or 40 of them to, away to uh, photographers in Syria because they were finding it hard to get film oh, from. Oh, wow. I don't even want to think about taking that film through the airport. <laughs> well, we went through – there were 22 opportunities for it to be searched, as in go through the X-ray. Oh, my gosh. And in the end, it went through three because I managed to convince – Yeah everyone that you don't put the stuff through yeah and that can be a hard sell yeah well it's 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 not that one dose of radiation um cooks the film it's just like the build-up it's a build-up yeah so each time it's basically you know if it was a 100 iso film by the end of the day if it's been through you know six Mm. x-rays 
it's acting like 3200 ISO film going through mm. an X-ray. It's just getting more sensitive and, and, mm. and, and absorbing more things. So you get yeah. colour shift and all sorts of things that yeah. go on. Some people say it's not a problem if it's in your hand luggage. Well, it was in my hand luggage. And when you go to Syria and it's in your hand luggage, your hand luggage gets taken off and put through an X Aeroflot industrial X-ray machine, oh which is bigger than Ben-Hur. <laughs> and it's like a washing machine or bigger. <laughs> and it, it, oh, it, it cooks it. Um, yeah. So I arrived in Syria... And the first thing I did after my film, having gone through this massive half room of a machine. of an X-ray machine, um, is I contacted a friend who um, was a photographer in Syria. He worked for the Washington Post and the mm. Guardian and all sorts of other major newspapers. And so I got up at six in the morning, walked around Damascus, and took three films quickly. Mm. Met him at ten o'clock in the market, and we walked for worked for an hour to a place where. They developed film, and we dropped the film off. Went and had a few too many beers together <laughs> because we'd caught up, um, and then got back and they developed them and printed them. And the color ones had a bit of a color change. Mm, um, the, the black and whites were fine. Oh, perfect! And I had lots of both, so mm. I just kept on taking film mm. photography. I thought I thought one month in Syria with. No film would have been a bit of a disaster, but it was there, and I was enjoying it. So I did it for myself. Yeah. And um, so came back, and we had an exhibition called Syria Lost. That's the one the, that I, yeah, where, was where of. we had with Brian, myself, and Sandra's photography, and uh, each printed about a meter square, and they're pretty amazing images. Considering three weeks after we passed through Dara, which is in the south of Syria, into Jordan. Um, the first shots of the civil war in Syria were fired in the streets of Dara. Mm. Um, so up until then, you know, the things were going off in you know, Tunisia and, and down south um, and, so, and, other, and other areas of the world, but uh, hadn't got to Syria yet. Mm. And then when Syria decided to do it, the, the government decided to crack down and, and took on its civilians. So wow, it wasn't good. And then and then after that, you know, other sort of people infiltrated the, the cause of the civilians and turned it into a, a civil war, but with um, different ideologies involved. So mm. it was it turned into something more vicious. Yeah, wow. Yeah. It's pretty tight timing. Yes. Yeah, it could have been worse. Yeah, <laughs> it could have been that six weeks later. That's true. <laughs> mm, mm, mm. Mm. And so and the, I'm still on the one metre. <laughs> Because um, those ones I think I've only seen online. So, yeah, yeah. amazing. And yeah. they are very – it does feel like you're there walking through yeah. markets. I, and I took I took a, a 1954 Hasselblad with me, which was a supreme wide-angle camera, mm. and just walked everywhere with that, just yeah. taking photographs of, of people and landscape and you know, just everything that was in front of me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's the – Because, you know – Damascus and Aleppo are, are cities that are, have had continuous occupation for 7,000 years. So you go into any of those and there's, there's fabric from all sorts of different eras in there. We stayed with some Bedouins on the Euphrates River opposite Mesopotamia mm. um, in an archaeological dig and went out and did some you know sort of fossicking and playing around in, <laughs> in archaeological digs. We did some wonderful things you know, all, through, all through and, you know, had the odd encounter with a with someone with a submachine gun at 
you know, five in the morning when I was taking photographs because I managed to be taking photographs in the wrong direction oh, towards dear. military camps or oh, whatever. Dear. Instead of, yep. And they were tapping me on the shoulder with a machine gun and saying, you know, don't or do you, don't do that. <laughs> oh, dear. And I bet you stopped. <laughs> yes, I did. Yes. Turn around and take photographs the other direction. <laughs> what a what a chronology of events. Um, but moving back to the Rust exhibition, that sounds very similar to another couple of exhibitions that had a, a sort of single word yeah. premise um so it's it's a few it's a, there's a few exhibitions we've had and they've mm. been contemporary art exhibitions yeah. so it started with rust yeah so that was the beginning gotcha. yeah and then it was salt tar smoke knot grit grain bridge vessel mm. so that's quite nine, a few <laughs> yeah. and the next one's booked for the same space in hearts mill I won't push for, for <laughs> embargo details, but... Yeah, for February. Oh, cool. Yeah. Excellent. That's if, you know, COVID permits. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But a very established sort of model yeah. now then. Well, it's, yeah, and there's yeah. 40 or 50 of us now. Yeah, that's and a sizable people fleet. And people who have shown at the Louvre or the V&A or, you know, internationally all over, you know, all sorts of contemporary art spaces mm. to others who have shown at the local or have not shown at all before. Mm. So it's a big range. That's great. Um, there's only a couple of rules. One is that all the artists have to bring a plate to the opening. <laughs> yes. And the other is that they all have to sit the gallery. Yeah. Um, and well, more than likely you could be sitting, you could be a third-year student from AC Arts and be sitting beside your arts hero mm. and... You know, and having a great conversation for four hours while mm. neglecting the people in the gallery. <laughs> really, so it's and everyone has to clean up. You know, yeah. they, they clean up the space because it's a it's a pop up space yeah. which we established about mm. six years ago. This the we moved into after after having it in an established gallery for four years. We we managed to convince the government that. Um, they could let us use Hearts Mill as a venue. And yeah. um, so we, the first time we did it, it took us two weeks to scrub and clean the <laughs> 100 mil of bird shit and dust and crap and everything <laughs> off the floor and away and, and then repaint some walls that were tagged mm. um, oh, yes. in, the, in the same original dirty brownie gray color that was on the wall there. So we, mm. didn't, we didn't paint them, we didn't restore, we... We just slightly, slightly renovated, yeah. as in, you know, it wasn't turning it pristine. In fact, you know, we've got walls in there which have beautiful peeling paint, yeah. and no one's allowed to touch them, as far mm. as we're concerned. Mm. Paint's been sitting there for five years now, so it's crusty, it's it's falling off the walls, it's beautiful. Mm. So that's all part of the texture of the space mm, and the character. Oh, yeah. it's a great thing that's been established, and yeah, yeah. to have a, such a mix of. Um, people of different levels yeah. being involved and, yeah. you know, everyone respecting the code because that's how you sustain something like that. Yeah. You've got and, to have a and few it's, rules. And it's great. And, <laughs> and, and a lot of the artists who would normally have their work either picked up or dropped off at galleries and then at the end of the exhibition the work picked up and dropped off mm. um, have very little to do with the exhibition itself. I've got a big connection with the exhibition mm. and, and I've got the opportunity to hang out with other artists of, of different levels and, mm. and and it's fantastic <laughs> so lovely people lovely friendships long friendships now 
Mm. Um, I've got another waiting list of about 40 or 50 people who want to get into it. Um, <laughs> you build it, those, they will come. <laughs> yeah, but generally the most, you know, if you've, if you've been in it, you get invited again. Yeah, so. yeah. Oh, well done. Yeah. And, um, yeah, thank you for, you know, pushing these, you know, very community-involved events and, and, you know, the care for the port is palpable and tangible um yeah i look forward to seeing the shows when they come about yep Mm. yep they're good we enjoy them and we obviously do sailor exhibitions each year with photography which i've forgotten to mention (laughs) but it's analog photography yeah that that happens in in august when when you can have a real exhibition i think yes we've missed out on one or two during during our covid yeah but they've been fun mm. know, and big prints, some of them up to three metres wide. So. Mm. Do love a big print. <laughs> yeah. No, it's it's good, good fun. It's good stuff. Yeah, and some of those. Are, we get done by Atkins, the mm. smaller ones, mm. and the bigger ones. We've sourced a, a signage printer right. who makes very good, durable vinyl prints. Big prints, <laughs> big yeah. Big prints. They're, not as, they're, they're obviously not as perfect as in you know, fine art. Mm. As something that would be on, you know, photo rag with mm. archival links, mm. but um, but for an they, exhibition, they, for an yeah. exhibition where, when we first started exhibiting in the space, um, pigeons lived in it. So, <laughs> so you don't really want to put archival, you, you, don't you know, put, you don't really want top to put, quality. You know, so you know, when Trent Park and Norel Audio put their work up, they put them behind glass. Yeah. Um, but for those of us who sort of haven't got big frames, or mm. um, we just sort of pin them up. Yeah. And um, so being being sort of the sort of stuff you can wipe down with a wet cloth um, yeah, <laughs> be- before, be- before each day <laughs> or maybe during the day. <laughs> oh, I don't want to think about it. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Well, we will all be um, keeping an eye out for all these projects and, yeah. yes, hopefully. So I will have... give you the name of the next one. Yeah, good. Yeah, It's called Hold. Hold, that's As nice. in the hold of a ship or the embrace. Or, oh, yeah. or anything. So. There's different ways you can read that. Yeah. Well, that's the words we've used. They've all got all sort of double meanings. Got more than double meanings. <laughs> so, you know, when you're, oh, brilliant. So, well, so allow, allows people allows people to play. Mm, mm. Yeah, that's beautiful. It's a fantastic space, and I'm lucky enough to once a year or twice a year get permission to use it. Mm. Oh, may it continue. Yep. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>